Well, good morning, Peninsula Community Church. My name is Andrew. I'm the student ministry pastor. And uh, if you've been joining us for a while, we've been doing a series looking at the letters to the churches in Revelation. And we're going to continue with that today. Uh, and, and what we're seeing as we're going through these letters is that while they're specific letters to, to specific churches, we're also seeing that there's lessons that we today as our church can learn as well. And I think that's going to be true again today. Before we jump in, though, um, there's something that I was thinking about as I was reading this letter that I kind of want to bring to your attention. And that is that with the introduction of social media, a lot has changed in our lives and in our world. Some of it is for the good, right? You can, you can stream church now and, and help people that may not be able to make it. Um, you can catch up with old friends that maybe have moved away. You can share new ideas or perhaps just post funny cat videos. But along with the good, there's been some bad that's entered as well. And one of those things, and the one that I was really thinking about, is that the line between what's real and what's fake has been a lot harder to see. The lines become blurred. It's a lot harder to see what's real and what's fake now in our lives. Let me give you an example. Uh, we'll put the first picture up, uh, the next picture, though. The first picture, um, it's, it's a woman. She's uh, looking out of her seat on an airplane. And uh, this is something that I think is not uncommon, uh, uncommon to see on our feeds, right? Here's someone showing they're adventurous, they're exciting, they're going on a trip, they want their friends to know about it. Um, and, and it's something that, that is trying to say, look, I'm exciting. But how do we know it's real? Because I'll tell you what, this one isn't. If you hit the next slide, you can see that this isn't actually someone who is going on some fancy trip and, and traveling and wants to show how exciting and adventurous they are. Um, it's someone who took a toilet seat and put it up against the TV screen and was able to create an idea. And so it's harder to tell what's real and what's fake. You can hit the next one too if you want. And it seemingly has become easier and easier to do. If you have a phone and a box, or a, in this case, a tube of laundry detergent, again, you can create this idea of travel, of adventure. Or perhaps, if you want to hit the next one, um, you can also create this idea, if you want to hit it one more time even too, you can also create this idea... <laughs> Uh, simply on a Friday afternoon when you're sitting at Danny's desk. It's not that hard. You just go into the kitchen. You find something that, that has a little circle shape. You go to Danny's computer. Boom. Easy peasy. I can now create that myself. And so there's this idea with social media. You can hit the next one. I, I told them to add this in so my picture doesn't stay up there too long. But the thing is, that with social media now in our lives, this idea between what's real and what's fake has become a lot harder to tell. And part of that reason is because with social media, you can get away with simply looking the part. You can get away with simply looking the part. You can fake it, right? You can fake luxury. You can fake popularity. You can even fake brand deals. There's influencers, people who are trying to sell you something, and they're faking what they're selling. On social media, it's good enough to simply look the part. But then the question becomes, well, is the same true in church? 
Is it good enough for churches or people in churches to simply look the part? Is that good enough? And I think Jesus makes it pretty clear quite often, in fact, that it's not good enough. It's not good enough to just look the part. See, one of the reasons I think that Jesus um, constantly was clashing with the Pharisees was because he called them hypocrites, right? To everyone else, the Pharisees, um, they looked super spiritual. They looked like they were right with God. They looked like they were kind of better than everyone else. But Jesus saw right through them. He saw that while they may have looked the part, they were missing the heart. And so the question then becomes, and, and the question that really we're going to ponder today is, what would Jesus say to a church, to a church who, who is full of, of people who claim to be his followers and perhaps even look like his followers, but are really fake? What would Jesus say to those people? And I, I think it's vital for us, again, to look at, because again, while this is written to a, a specific church, we can see there's lessons for us still today to take away from this. And again, if this idea of, of Jesus calling us to authentic faith rather than just looking the part is so common and so consistent, it's probably something that we should lean into. So that's where we're going today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 3. Um, normally, when we're in youth group or something like that, and we say, open your Bibles to blank, uh, the line will usually follow, uh, if you've hit Revelation, you've gone too far. But in this case, if you hit Revelation, you're exactly where you're supposed to be. So just go ahead and flip to the end. Uh, today, we're going to look at the Church of Sardis, and we're using the same map we've been using, which, again, it's a little hard to see, but it's actually on the right, um, sort of parallel to Smyrna. It's, it's in between uh, Thyatira and Philadelphia, and so you can kind of see it on the map. But the interesting thing is, I think Sardis has a really interesting history. It has a really interesting history, and so as you're turning to Revelation 3, I want to give you just a little bit of the background about it, because I think it's so interesting. Their history, it, it shows Jesus knows who he's talking to, and it reveals a little bit more to us. So here's, the, here's a little bit of the history of Sardis. Sardis um, was once the capital of the ancient um, kingdom of Lydia. So it, it, it's a prominent city. It used to be a capital of an ancient kingdom. Uh, um, and actually, Sardis, it boomed in size. It was, it was a big population, and part of the reason that it did was because there was rumors that there's gold in its rivers. I don't know if that gives you like a flashback of somewhere else that we may know of that boomed in size when there was rumors of gold, um, but maybe if you go back to like your fifth grade history classes, you can think of the California gold rush and think, okay, it's the same thing. People are flooding to Sardis um, in hopes of striking it rich. The thing is, though, I think some people really did. I think it wasn't just an idea. I think some people really did strike it rich because Sardis became known as this very wealthy city. They started minting their old gold coins, gold silver coins. They're known as this wealthy city. Not only that, but Sardis was also a, a city on top of a hill, so it had natural um, protection. It had natural protection for itself. There was only a few ways into the city and a few ways out to, of the city. And so because of that, it became pretty easy for Sardis to build fortifications and, and to create this really safe city. So much, in fact, that Sardis uh, it gained a reputation. It gained a reputation of being this unconquerable city. 
it's so safe, no one can take it. And so I think it's interesting because knowing this background, we see then, okay, this letter that Jesus is writing to this church, he's writing to a church that is in a city that's super wealthy and super safe. It's a little different often than some of the other churches too because there's this comfortability. And I think that really then sets the tone, not only for the letter, but actually for how the letter starts. See, uh, in his previous four letters, um, Jesus actually starts it with a little bit of a word of encouragement, right? Um, Before he gets into like what you need to work on, he, he encourages most of the churches. Sardis, though, it starts with a different tone. Verse 1, it starts right away with like a bang. You don't get kind of an ease in. You just jump right in. And so I think it's a unique way that Jesus is trying to grab attention to people who are very comfortable. And I think it could be interesting for us to look at as well. So let's take a look. We're going to be in Revelation 3, uh, starting in verse 1. And we're just going to look at the the whole letter real quick. So it's just 1 through 6. It says this, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have a name of being alive, but you are dead. Verse 1, boom, hits you right away. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is on the point of death. For I have not found your works perfect in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief in the night, and you will not know at what hour I will come. Yet you have a few uh, persons in Sardis who have not yet soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. If you conquer, you will be clothed like them in white robes, and I will not blot your name out of the book of life. I will confess your name before my Father and before his angels. Let anyone who has ears... Listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Okay, six verses, but there's kind of a lot there, um, and it kind of hits you all at once. Um, So I want to break it down into four kind of parts of the letter. And and the reason I want to do this is because I think each part also builds off uh, uh, the preceding ones. So I want to break it down to four parts, and the first one, if you're following along in your notes, um, is, is this. Jesus is telling Sardis, hey, you may look alive, but you're actually dead. Sardis may have looked alive, but they are actually dead. Sardis, it had this reputation, and it had a reputation among the other churches, perhaps some of the other churches that were being um, written to as well. People um, knew the name. They knew about Sardis. It had a reputation. Um, To everyone else, Sardis may have seemed like it was like one of those it churches that had stuff going on. Uh, The population of the church uh, was healthy. They had a big size. The finances were doing all right. Perhaps even the programs were run really well. Everything from the outside made it look like Sardis was healthy. Perhaps, though, I think these signs of success that we like to look for and these signs of success that impress us aren't always the same thing that impress God. And so while they may have looked perfect from the outside, Jesus is saying, you're dead. Like, like a, a, an apple that you pull out and it's crisp, it's red, it looks perfect, it, and you go in to take a bite, and when you do, it just reveals this rotten core. Saying the same thing, you look alive, but it's not the case. 
I do think it's interesting, because um, he says, uh, you know, Sardis, I know your works, you have a reputation. I started to think, I, I, do, I do wonder, and I do kind of think as well, that Sardis may have actually, at one point in time, earned this reputation, meaning I, I don't think it was all fake all the time. It wasn't exactly like uh, someone holding a toilet seat up to a TV and taking a picture. I think at one point in time, they may have earned that reputation. It wasn't always a facade. There was something going on. But now, it's a different case. Now they had become so content about what they were that they weren't worrying about where they were going. And I think it's interesting because, again, this is a parallel to the city. Remember, the, the, just like the church in Sardis, the city of Sardis had a reputation. It was this big city on a hill, and it was fortified, and everyone's like, no, no, this city's untouchable. You can't take this. But it wasn't actually true. It wasn't an unconquerable city. In 549 BC, Cyrus of Persia was able to take the unconquerable city. He conquered what was unconquerable. How could he do it? Did he just barge in there? Did he overwhelm them? Did he, he, he just, uh, you know, massive force? It wasn't actually the case. He used an act of stealth to take the city. One night, uh, like a thief in the night almost, one of Cyrus's soldiers was able to find a spot that was unguarded. He was able to sneak into the city. He was able to get a few more people past the unguarded spot, and they were able to lower the city's defenses. And so this unconquerable city fell to Persia because it was overconfident, because it was, it was complacent, because it relied on its reputation and didn't actually do the work. I think that's interesting because Jesus is saying, you're just like that. You're just like the city. You're relying on your reputation and you're not actually putting the work in. Thankfully, though, the letter doesn't end there. Jesus isn't writing the letter and he says, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Sincerely, Jesus folds it up, sends it, seals it, and sends it off. It's not over, thankfully. There's more to the letter. And the second part of the letter is this. At this point in time, thankfully, Sardis was only mostly dead. Sardis was only mostly dead at this point in time. My hope is that that phrase, mostly dead, rang a bell in your head because there is a cultural masterpiece known as the Princess Bride. And if you've seen the Princess Bride, then you know there's a difference between being mostly dead and being all dead. You know what, just to make my point real quick, let's, let's check the clip so it can do my part for me. He probably owes you money, huh? Well, I'll uh, ask him. It's dead. He can't talk. This is a day for sound ooh, problems. Ooh, look who knows so much, huh? Well, it just so happens <laughs> that your friend here is only mostly dead. Is that my wife? Dead. There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Please open Oh, uh, here mouth. we go. Now, mostly dead, he's slightly alive. Now, all dead, well, with all dead, there's usually only one thing that you can do. What's that? Go through his clothes and look for loose change. Okay, actually, thankfully, the sound kicked in at the part I needed it to, because uh, thankfully, right when the sound kicked on, it did say the one line, 
that I think was super important. The one line where Miracle Max, as he's working with Wesley, and they bring him in, he, he's saying there's a difference between mostly dead and all dead. And I don't know if you notice it, but he offered a very small sliver of hope. He said, mostly dead is slightly alive. <laughs> right? This is a small sliver of hope, but mostly dead is slightly alive. I actually think we get uh, just a, a hint slightly different, but a hint of that as well in this letter, um, because in verses 2 and 3, Jesus tells Sardis to act quick and save what's left. He says, there's still something left to save. You're only mostly dead. There's still something left. You're not all the way gone. Verse 2 says, wake up and strengthen what remains and is on the point of death. There's still time. There's still hope right? He didn't sign the letter or send it off and say, you're dead. There's still hope. But they're on the wrong trend. They're trending towards death. And I think that's interesting because what's the biblical narrative, right? We were dead, and then with Jesus, we're brought to life. Sardis is trending the opposite way, though. They were alive, and now they're trending towards death. And so Jesus says, wake up! right? Wake up. There you go. A little little shock for you. (laughs) Be alert. Be attentive. Don't let anything slip by you. Um, uh, uh, Our missionary, Dave Hagelberg, he's a bit of a a Revelation um, guru, and so um, when he he writes about Revelation 3, uh, he, he actually makes a connection that this wake up language is also used by Paul in Ephesians 5, um, and, and in Paul, he's writing about how you were once in darkness, but now Jesus has come, move into the light. And actually, um, as he closes, you can put the verse up real quick. So he, he's talking about this in Ephesians 5, and he says, For once you were darkness, but now in the Lord you are light. Live as children of the light, right? For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and all that is right and true. Try to find out what it is, uh, pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in uh, unfruitful works of the darkness but instead expose them for it's shameful to even mention uh what such people do secretly but everything exposed to light becomes visible for everything that becomes visible is light therefore here's the big point sleeper awake rise from the dead and christ will shine on you in ephesians 5 uh, the believers who are not faithful are pictured as people asleep people who aren't faithful they're the picture as people that are asleep and paul says wake up move into jesus move into the light i think in the same way he's saying to sardis wake up right stop mindlessly just going through the motions wake up what's interesting is that um, in verse three jesus adds this part where he says um, if you don't wake up you're gonna miss it so while you, you, you're not all dead, you're mostly dead, you're trending in the wrong direction, there's still hope. Uh, mostly dead is slightly alive. There's a chance. But if you don't wake up, you're going to miss me. Verse 3, uh, part B, really, the second half, it says, If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief of the night. You will not know at what hour I will come to you. I think Jesus is also giving a little bit of a callback right here. I think Jesus is giving them not only a warning, but a little bit of a callback. 
He's saying, hey, Sardis, you know you've already been caught sleeping once in your history. You were supposed to be this unconquerable city. No one was able to get past you, but you know what? Someone already slipped by you once. Are you really going to let that happen again? Are you not going to learn from it? Wake up, pay attention so that you don't miss me. I mean, I, that struck me as I was reading it and as I was studying it, and it, it was something that I, I, I wanted to lean into or I was saying, am I paying attention? Am I just going through the motions? Am I paying attention? I think that's the same thing we need to be leaning to. Are we paying attention? Or are we just going through the motions? I don't know if you've ever done this, but I've, I've done it once or twice. Well, probably more than that. But uh, where you will get in your car, you'll drive somewhere, and when you get there, you won't like totally know how you completely got there. You're like, okay, I know I drove there, but I don't remember all the steps. It just kind of happened. I think that's kind of what's going on here. They're just kind of letting it happen. They're just kind of letting life happen. So are you going to wake up? Are we awake? Or like Sardis, do we need to wake up too? Thankfully, the third part of the letter is Jesus not only saying you need to wake up, but he's telling us how. I think that's super helpful because it's, it's like uh, when someone tells you to do something, they actually give you instructions as well instead of just saying, hey, hey go, go do this chore or go do this task, but they don't tell you necessarily how to do it. Jesus adds in uh, uh, four instructions for how to do it. So uh, point number three would be, here's these four instructions that Jesus gives us for how to wake up. He gives us four instructions for how to wake up. The first one he gives is this. He says, we need to strengthen what remains. We need to strengthen what remains. When it comes to our bodies... How do we strengthen our bodies? Exercise. You exercise. You go to the gym, you do a treadmill, you do a walk outside, got lots of hills, a trail, um, you know, elliptical, bench press, whatever. You exercise. If you want to strengthen your body, you exercise. I think in the same way, the question would be, well, how do we strengthen our faith? How do we strengthen what remains? We exercise. We exercise our faith. We have these um, spiritual disciplines. We have uh, different gifts, classes, all different ways where we have a chance to exercise our faith. For me, um, one of the things I like is I like to pray scripture. Um, for me, like when, when I'm in a time where I, I just feel kind of mindless. I feel dry. I feel like just going through the motions. I feel like my prayer life is, is struggling or something like that. One of the things I like to do um, as kind of an exercise is pray scripture. I feel like that is something that really gets me going. That helps me um, and strengthens me. Perhaps something to wonder is, how can you exercise your faith? What's something that you can do that in those moments where we feel kind of mindless or going through the motions What's a way we can strengthen our faith? What's a way we can exercise our faith? The second instruction um, kind of builds off the first. Jesus says, um, Sardis, as well as us, 
We need to remember what we have received. We need to remember what we have received. What did they receive and us? Well, they received the good news, right? They received Jesus. They received the gospel. And so he's saying, remember me, right? Remember me. What's interesting, though, is I think that um, remembering is not something that is just cognitive, right? It's not something that we just do in our minds. Um, I think remembering can actually be spiritual. It can be emotional and even um, physical as well. Here's what I kind of thought of when I, when I was thinking about that. Have you ever heard a song that brings back a memory? Maybe it's like uh, the, the song that was your first dance or a song that you associate with heartbreak uh, or a song that makes you remember someone um, that you haven't seen in a long time. There's this remembering that's also bringing out a reaction. Or perhaps, uh, what are you like when you go through your old photo albums or your old home movies, right? The, the, the way you laugh at the way your hair used to look uh, or the way you feel when you see a relative who's no longer with us or just the, 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 the look of your, your kid who's all grown up and going away to college and you see the, the little baby pictures and that feeling that comes back. I think remembering is more than something that like just happens up here. So he's saying, remember what you've received. When we really remember the gospel, Give it a second. It'll come back. Tell you what, that power outage was not easy to come back from that. We're working on it. It takes a lot. But when we remember, right, remembering is more than what happens up here. I think when we actually dive into Jesus, when we actually remember Jesus, remember what he's done, remember what he is doing, uh, it has the potential to move all of our being. It's not remembering Jesus as if we're studying for a math uh, exam, right? You're just like trying to know the answers so that uh, when the Sunday school teacher calls on you, you like can answer it right away. You can pass the test. You got 100%. Um, there's a difference for me when I'm trying to remember answers for my tests that I take now and when I'm trying to remember something that moves me. So he's saying, remember me. Sardis, you, you've gotten complacent. And in your complacency, you've taken my memory for granted. Uh, there's a line in a song that we'll sing um, in just a few minutes, actually, uh, called Come Thou Fount. Um, and it says this line that I always think was super interesting. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Um, and as a kid, I, I did not know what that meant. The only Ebenezer I knew was Scrooge. And so, like, I was like, maybe this is just a person in the Bible, and they're, like, talking about him um, or something like that. But there's actually uh, something else going on. And Ebenezer was a, a memorial of stones built up to remind the person of how God delivered them. 
And so in the Old Testament, basically, they would build this as a way to say, thus far, the Lord has brought us. Thus far, the Lord has brought us. Thus far, I, I think, leaves a meaning that there's more to come. Uh, pastor, writer on Right Now Media, Mark Batterson, he says it this way, he says, so far, so God. Right? Because God has got us here, I can trust him to get us there. Now, I don't know all of you in the way that I've been to all your houses and seen your gardens and the way you decorate, but odds are I don't think all of us have Ebenezer's in our yards. We don't have these things that we've built up to say thus far, uh, so far, so God. But we do have something that we do today that, that still remains in that spirit, right? Communion is something that we do to remember and to anticipate. It causes a reaction, right? We remember what Christ has done and what he's going to do. And as we remember that, it pushes us forward as well. It moves us in faithfulness. And so I think Jesus is saying, you know, are you remembering me? Are you taking my memory for granted? And so we should ask, are we remembering Jesus? Are we remembering him in a way that moves us? Or like Sardis, are we taking his memory for granted? Well, the third thing builds off this memory, builds off remembering. It says we need to obey. Pretty straightforward, obey. I think it builds off it. It says um, apply what you remember. Right? Remember it. Don't let Jesus just be a memory. Don't let Jesus just be a moment, but apply it. Go live it. Go live like him. The idea of an Ebenezer wasn't just about looking back. It was also about looking forward. And so we can't just keep Jesus in a moment or in a feeling. We need to apply him to his whole, our whole life. St. Sardis, you need to obey. Remember, obey. Are we obedient? Obedience is, is one that I think is so interesting because uh, in some areas it's like, oh, this is super easy. In other areas it's like, ah, I feel like I know better. So where has the Spirit been convicting you about a lack of obedience? The, uh, the fourth and final instruction, I think, builds off now all three of them, right? So he says, um, strengthen what remains. As you do, remember me. And while you're remembering me, let that move you to obey. And if you're doing all three, then also repent, right? So it's saying, as you're, as you're remembering, as you're strengthening what remains, as you obey, also repent. I think repent um, isn't just like, I'm sorry, I think he's saying there's more than that, especially with a church that had become complacent. He's saying, you need to make a U-turn. You need to turn things around. Stop going the way that you're going and turn around. Uh, when I first started here, I lived still at home in Huntington Beach 
um, and I would use my GPS to get here every day just to like make sure I knew where I was going. One day though, on a Sunday morning, when I had been here long enough to finally put the GPS away, I of course missed my exit. It was an early morning, uh, it was still dark, the fog was out, um, but really the trick was I was too busy rehearsing and practicing and thinking about what I was going to say that morning to actually be paying attention to my exit. So all of a sudden, I see a sign that says LAX. And I went, that's not right. I know I'm new here, but I know that's not right. And so I still remember having to actually not just keep going and hope things figure it out, but I had to pull off. I had to go to the nearest exit, and I had to turn around and head back the other way. I couldn't keep going on the 405 north. I had to turn it around and head back south in hopes that I could make it to church on time. I had to stop going the direction I was going and turn around. The same thing happens in life. Right, we're going a direction we aren't supposed to be going. We need to turn around. I think for me, it's, uh, it's often my pride. Right? I'll, I'll feel confident, probably overconfident, that I'm going in the right direction. And everything seems, uh, everything seems right, and, and I'm confident in what I'm doing, only for this feeling and this thought that the Lord's saying, hey, Andrew, are you doing that for me? Or are you doing that for you? All right. Turn it around. Are you heading in a direction you shouldn't be going? Right? Is there something big or something small where you need to turn around, where the Spirit is nudging you in that same kind of way? Well, the final thing in this letter even though it starts off really strong and it starts off with a bang, it doesn't have the same encouragement that the other ones do um, right off the beginning, it does end with some good news. At the very end, the fourth and final section of the letter is that there is hope. There's hope for those who wake up. Jesus does end it with some good news. He says there's hope for those who wake up. Verses 5 and 6. If you conquer you will be clothed like them in white robes and i will not blot your name out of the book of life i will confess your name before my father and before his angels let anyone who has ears listen to what the spirit is saying to the churches he's saying there's hope mostly dead is slightly alive there's hope if you turn things around if you wake up i promise i'm gonna i'm gonna bless you and in that we, we see there's blessings for righteousness Right? I'm going to clothe you in white. There's blessings of a future. I won't blot your name out. There's blessings of a future he's going to give us. And I think the really interesting one is there's a blessing for a greater reputation. Right? So Sardis, you, you cling on this reputation you have, but if you wake up, I'm going to give you something better because I will confess your name. So he's saying, wake up. Don't miss what I have for you. I got to tell you, as I was preparing this and, and reading this letter, I found it very convicting. I feel like this was a very convicting letter. And that's why I think it's, it's so important for us as well. 
I think it's, it's, it's uh, uh, easy to, to fall into the same trap that Sardis did. Right? What happened to Sardis can happen anywhere to anyone. It's easy to get complacent. Right? That same song that we're going to sing next, it says, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. It's easier to wander. It's easier to get complacent. Right? Looking the part, though, Jesus says, isn't enough. So how are you doing? Right? Are we content? Are we complacent? Are we just going through the motions? Are we coasting on our path? Do we need to wake up? Because what happened to Sardis can happen to anyone, anywhere. It's perhaps our challenge and our, and our question then for the week is this. How will we show as a church that we're alive and we're awake? How can we do that this week? How can we show that we're not asleep, we're not going through the emotions, but we're alive, we're awake, and we're ready for what he has for us? Let's pray. God, we thank you for letters like this, even though when you start them off, they, they, they hit us like a pile of bricks. But God, as we see this, as we, as we, as we live in a world where really uh, with social media and with life, it's just easier to look the part. It, it's easier to be complacent. It's easier to just kind of go through the motions. God, we pray that you call us to more. That you have more for us, Lord, and, and that um, PCC won't fall into the same traps artists did, that, but, but we'll be a church um, not on a hill that's complacent and comfortable, but a, a church on a hill that is a light for others. So God, we, we give this over to you. We give ourselves and our time and our church and our community over to you. And we want to say we're awake. So pray this in your name. Amen.